Welcome to the TJF Podcast. My name is Ian Donnelly. There hasn't been a whole lot to laugh about in policing for a few years. This podcast is all about what it was like to be in the British police for the last 30 years. How did it change? And more importantly, how did it come to be in a bit of a mess? I'll describe every job that I did over those years. Reading from my book, I'll also give you my thoughts about contemporary policey stuff. I'll interview anyone brave enough to come on and ask them what they think. My wife Kay is going to help me from time to time. There may be a little bit of swearing, so probably better to keep the kids out of the room or use headphones. Everything I say and write comes out of a place of love for policing and police officers. But I know that some people probably won't agree with what I say, and that's completely okay. All I ask is that you read or listen with an open mind. And if you go away feeling that you know more about what policing in Britain is really all about, and perhaps also have a bit more empathy for police officers, then I've succeeded. So, here we go. Hello everybody, it's Ian here again. Really nice to be back doing another TGF podcast with you. Hope you're well, hope your week's going okay. Thanks ever so much uh, to everybody who's been uh, giving me lots of nice reviews. I actually had my first one-star review this week, which um, was a bit of a, a weird experience, uh, and but something I'm probably going to have to get used to, given that uh, if you put yourself out there, then some people are going to really like what you're doing and other people are going to really hate it. So um, but it did make me kind of chuckle a little bit when I, when I read it, because uh, whoever wrote it, has completely got the wrong end of the stick. So yeah, I'll read it out to you actually. I'm going to try really, really hard not to get hung up on these things because, as I say, if you're going to put yourself out there, then you've got to accept that um, some of this feedback is going to be great and some of it is going to be terrible. So here we go. One star review. Was enjoying it, dot, 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 but was enjoying this until it started going on about neo-Nazi stuff. Wow. Fed up with white people being constantly called that just because they care about their people. Police support BLM, but white lives don't matter. You wonder why people dislike the police these days. I didn't listen to the episode, but saw the synopsis. If it was an idiot moron advocating violence, I will take it back. I definitely do not condone that at all. Thing is, I doubt it, saying... WLM or just having mental health issues makes you a Nazi these days, apparently. I'm assuming that WLM means white lives matters. A hippie pacifist yoga teacher who makes soap was called one recently in the newspaper for no reason, beyond a joke. Perhaps sort out the real terrorist threats on the streets to the Brits, question mark, question mark. Yeah, so not quite sure where to start with this, really. Um, I suppose the key point, uh, the key admission is that he didn't actually listen to it but still felt that um, he was qualified, or he could have been a she, qualified to give it a one-star review. So that's the first point I'd make. And call me old-fashioned, if you're going to review something, I suggest you actually listen to it. Um, The second point is, um, this was the episode when I was talking about uh, the Metropolitan Police Officer who was jailed for membership of National Action, an extreme far-right terrorist organisation. National Action, for anybody who doesn't understand who they are, uh, they say things like 
uh, they want to they call for a white jihad to cleanse Britain of parasites and uh, all sorts of other unpleasant stuff like that. So, so yeah, um, whoever you are wrote that in, um, review. Uh, maybe you want to just listen to what I was actually saying before you go off on one. There you go. Anyway, having said that, I'm not going to um, focus too much on negativity. I've already wasted far too much of the podcast talking about that. So so where are we going this week? Um, right, so anyone who's been listening to the podcast regularly will know that I've been doing quite a lot of interviews, the last three, uh, which I hope you've enjoyed. I've certainly enjoyed them. I've got some really interesting people lined up to interview in the future. So I had a very nice email yesterday evening from Danny Shaw, who was the long-standing BBC crime correspondent um, and was crime correspondent under numerous Home Secretaries, numerous Prime Ministers, um, and will have, I'm sure, a fascinating insight into uh, policing from the journalistic point of view. I'm absolutely fascinated about hearing his perspective on everything that he saw and heard over all of those years, and more importantly to me, um, where he currently thinks things are. Um, and why they got there. I've also got another really interesting interview lined up uh, with Keith Fraser, who is the chair of the Youth Justice Board of England and Wales, uh, a very sort of significant individual in terms of his current uh, responsibilities. Um, Keith and I worked together in the West Midlands Police. He was a superintendent uh, in the West Midlands Police, and since he retired, he's gone on to um, really quite impressive um, and high-profile roles in the criminal justice sector. So really looking forward to hearing his perspective as well. But this week, there's two things I want to really cover, which are sort of linked but uh, different. So the first thing I want to talk about is the impact of continuous filming of police officers going about their duties, which appears to now have become almost ubiquitous. It's a big word, isn't it? I want to talk about the impact of that on policing, what the potential risks are. I want to talk about the impact on the officers themselves. And I also want to Think about how this actually impacts policing generally in terms of public safety, so the role of the police in society. Uh, I also want to think about and discuss what impact this might be having on police officers themselves from a personal point of view. And, uh, and then finally, I want to sort of consider what we might do about this in the future. So does this require potentially some sort of government regulation? Is it um, desirable to have regulation? What might the benefits of that be against the disbenefits? And uh, if regulation isn't deemed to be something that was going to be workable, then how do we help police officers on the wider police organisation to uh, discharge their duties in a way that is um, effective, but against a backdrop where Almost every day, police officers are having phones, camera phones, shoved in their faces. And I want to move on and discuss kind of where this is all going at the moment. Uh, so an interesting chat with one or two people over the last few days. Uh, they're really enjoying 
the podcast, uh, looking forward to the book coming out. Um, but quite a few of them sort of said, so what have you learned over the last four or five weeks of doing this? Um, where are you going with this? What's driving it? What's your agenda? What are the potential outcomes? All of that kind of stuff. Uh, so it's just worth spending a little bit of time talking through some of that. And, and it might be easier for me to talk about that with Kay, my wife, because I think rather than me just you know, monologuing, it might be better for her to draw out some of those issues in a way that's maybe potentially a bit more challenging, I suppose. So, police and camera phones. Oh my God. All I can say is I'm so glad that I didn't um, have all this to deal with whenever I first joined the police. Um, and, and really, by the time these bloody things became um, omnipresent, um, I was probably fairly safely tucked away in some office somewhere, shuffling paper around and, um, you know, doing strategic uh, policing rather than being out uh, on the front line, so to speak, having all of this gone on, because I frankly don't think I would be able to deal with it as professionally as uh, a lot of police officers now have to do. So so why did I kind of latch on to this particular issue? Well, I suppose um, it comes on the back of a lot of the recent uh, public order and disorder um, demonstrations, etc., over things like uh, Black Lives Matters, uh, Kill the Bill, um, the Clapham Vigil, and uh, more recently the Hyde Park disturbances last weekend. So for anybody who um, doesn't know what I'm talking about with the Hyde Park thing, last weekend there was a uh, sort of a Oh, God, what was it? I suppose you just describe it as a large gathering of people. I think some were there uh, as a sort of anti-lockdown protest. I think there was a contingent of people who were like anti-vax types. And I think there was probably just a lot of people who were just out there getting pissed um, because it was end of, you know, strict lockdown Lots of people have been, you know, really stir crazy over a long period of time, particularly young people, to be fair to them. You know, they've had a shit year. And, um, you know, I think you put yourself in the position of someone who's 17 or 18 years old who ordinarily would be going down the pub with their friends or going to nightclubs or just generally having a great time. And they've had the really shittest year that you could imagine. So, you know, um, I think everything I say about this kind of starts and ends with it's been a shit year for everyone and that includes police officers the the park the the Hyde Park gathering of many sort of thousands of people last Saturday I believe it was um became quite aggressive I think I think uh, as as is always the case with these things it's the sort of 80-20 principle where you know 80% of people are are there to ha- kind of uh, behave themselves and uh, and then there's always going to be a, a, a sort of a hardcore of individuals who are there for altogether different reasons uh, and that will probably be in uh, in, in, in order to um, take on the old bill uh, and just generally um, cause a problem. In fact I don't think it would even be 20% you're probably talking more like you know 10% but anyway it all went off at Haydock 
um, as it often does these days. And again, yet again, the poor old police, uh, the Metropolitan Police, were, were caught uh, up in it. And there was some really quite disturbing uh, footage showing police officers being um, bottled and having stuff thrown at them. A, uh, a female sergeant getting punched in the face and uh, quite a nasty sort of injury to her head uh, by some real brave bloke, I'm sure, you know. Uh, it takes a lot of courage to punch a woman in the face, doesn't it? Um, and I hope he gets his uh, just desserts in the fullness of time and he'll have some time to think about that, hopefully in prison. So, yeah, there was an awful lot of very unpleasant behaviour taking place, being directed towards police officers there. And as as is always the case with these things now, you, you end up with sort of rather binary uh, narrative playing out afterwards, which is very much the the activists and the people who were, um, you know, supportive of that sort of aggressive behaviour, uh, trying to portray the police as having instigated it all. Uh, and of course, uh, the police turning around and saying, hold on here, we're here to keep everyone safe and uh, we're coming under attack and we've got every right to defend ourselves. So so there you go. But the thing that really kind of um, struck me uh, more than anything else was just how many camera phones were being shoved in the faces of police officers. It was just unbelievable. Now, bearing in mind that most of these officers have got body-worn video on them, which is, you know, the case with pretty much all police officers in the UK now. Um, there are more journalists out there than you can shake a stick at with um, with video cameras. Um, there will be police evidence gatherers who will be there with their video cameras videoing everything. And there'll probably be lots of public CCTV and all, all sorts of stuff. So, so why people feel the need to video with their camera phones everything that is going on is slightly beyond me, really. Uh, I kind of understand why people are doing it in that sort of highly charged protest scenario, um, because presumably they want to try and catch the police doing something uh, that they shouldn't be doing uh, and therefore get them into trouble or whatever. But the reality is now that police officers, when they're out and about just doing their normal day-to-day -day duties, um, are almost continuously uh, finding themselves being filmed by individuals who they're either stopping and trying to deal with or their mates or passers-by who just get their camera phones out and start filming everything. So another reason why I thought I would have a talk about this today is that um, I saw a video on one of the police Facebook sites which I just find so depressing and shocking. And if you want to go and have a look at that video... It's on my website, which is www.tjfbook.com, under the blog titled, I think it's called something like, Is it now okay for members of the public to video public servants trying to do their job or something like that? Um, and the, the video is embedded within that blog, so you can go and have a look at it and, uh, and make your own mind up. But in short, it shows... Two police officers, I believe, in what appears to be a traffic car, doing a stop in the middle of a stop on uh, on a couple of lads who are just being complete fuckwits. Extremely awkward, difficult and uh, disrespectful. One of them, who's the main sort of 
character in the video is uh, continually trying to stop the officer from closing the door of his car. Every time the officer tries to get into his car, he's, he's opening the door. Uh, he's got the video, he's got the camera phone shoved in the officer's face almost throughout the entire interaction. Um, and his mate is in the background laughing like a hyena, thinking it's a, absolutely hilarious. And the whole thing just leaves you thinking, oh my God, what on earth is going wrong? I really don't want to fall into the trap of uh, being sort of the armchair critic of saying, well, you know, you should have done this or you should have done that, blah, blah, blah. Um, at the end of the day, the officer did what 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 he thought was the right thing to do. Um, personally, it wouldn't have been how I would have dealt with it. Um, I think I would have definitely, um, that bloke would have had handcuffs on and he'd have been uh, taken, taken into the police station for obstruction. But, um, but I respect that... Um, you know, we don't know what else was going on. Uh, perhaps they really couldn't afford to get tied up with dealing with prisoners. So there could be 101 reasons why he made a decision not to arrest. Um, but 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 from my perspective, I 100%, 100% would have been locking him up for obstruction. So as a result of looking at this very depressing footage of the officers being attacked and um, abused and bullied by the protesters in the Hyde Park incident at the weekend. Uh, and if you don't like the way I'm using the word bullying because I'm talking about police officers being bullied, then um, you need to understand that police officers are human beings, okay? So earlier on in the podcast this week, I talked about everyone's had a shit year, haven't they? Um, and some people have had a really, really shit year. And I don't think there's any hierarchy of shitness uh, in 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 terms of the last 12 18 months of covid but but what i would say is um police officers i think particularly have had a shit year because they've had to try and um carry on going to work um putting themselves in significant danger um the government in their wisdom uh, decided that police officers didn't uh, merit being given a vaccine against the uh covid virus and, and day in and day out, they're going out and dealing with uh, confrontation situations with large numbers of members of the public. And many police officers and members of police staff have, have died, sadly, as a result of that. Um, so uh, so when I say that they're being bullied, they are being bullied. I don't care what anybody says, because we live in a very tolerant society, a very benign police force. And, and I went over some of the statistics of police killings in the UK in the last podcast, you know, the fifth lowest country in the world in terms of the numbers of our citizens are killed by the police. Um, you know, Sweden kills 12 times, the Swedish police kill 12 times more of their citizens than the British do. The French kill eight times more. Um, so, yeah, this idea that we're this oppressive kind of organisation is just a complete, complete fallacy, really. So as a result of... Um, doing a bit of digging into all of this filming the police nonsense. I went down a bit of a rabbit hole, as you do sometimes on the internet, and I did a bit of digging. And uh, there is a depressing amount of this stuff on YouTube now. I mean, really a depressing amount. And the one site that I find more depressing than any other, without any shit of a doubt. Now, I'll tell you what it is, but I kind of... Um, you know, I almost don't want to tell you because I don't want him to think that 
by you know people going on it that that is in some way kind of um, approving of what he's doing because it's because I think it's an absolute disgrace. But there's a YouTube channel called Auditing Britain. So that's audit as in doing an audit, A-U-D-I-T, Auditing Britain. And the um, the guy who runs it or presents it or whatever call it you want describes himself as a human rights activist that gathers information on what public officials and corporations do and uh, specifically a right to record matters of public interest to observe how our tax taxes are spent. So he's a self-appointed auditor of um, public bodies. So I just accidentally pressed the um, play button on one of the, the YouTube videos there. But um, it's not just public bodies, it's almost exclusively police. And what he does is he goes round police stations all over the country and uh, wanders into the police station, into the very often into the, the yard uh, where the police cars are parked um, or on the private vehicles of the officers uh, with his video camera. And then, lo and behold, he, he kind of clearly is waiting to be challenged and then when he is challenged, uh, he is a complete arsehole. And that's the only word to use to describe the way he behaves. Um, extremely obstructive, uh, very arrogant. Um, the officers bless them, honestly, bless their cotton socks. I just wanted to reach into some of these videos and give them all a massive hug because the way they were mostly conducting themselves was uh, exemplary. And there was one or two who just had a bit of a sense of humour failure. And um, and then, of course, uh, he, he would, you know, accuse them of, of being bullies and authoritarian and blah, blah, blah. So in old money, when I joined the police, we would refer to people like that as sort of cranks and kind of nutters, really. Um, and, and, and every local area um, had them. Um, they would, you know, just be a bit of a pest and ring you up and make sort of false allegations or they would uh, come in and sort of try and stir up trouble or whatever. But unfortunately, with social media now and, and the ubiquity of camera phones and cheap digital um, recording, any idiot can uh, present themselves as a journalist. And I use that term extremely loosely. Now, and they can turn up and they can basically try and hoodwink the police into thinking that they are sort of a legitimate journalist when they're clearly not. And they're there with, with a very obvious agenda of trying to get the police into trouble. And in one of the videos, uh, which I was just absolutely gobsmacked at, he actually went uh, to the MI5 building in London and spends quite a long time videoing, over in broad daylight, videoing the outside of the building and then, unsurprisingly, a um, an armed response vehicle turns up, uh, clearly called by the security people in the MI5 building, and they they sort of challenge him and say, you know, what are you doing? Who are you? So this is this guy always always refuses to say who he is. He 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 won't um, say you know, give his, his his address or he won't give any details about his purpose for being there, other than saying I'm videoing, and there's nothing you can do about that. So. The, the ARV crew, the Met, I'm assuming they're a Met ARV crew, sorry for anybody who's listening, that's an armed response vehicle. They turn up and um, sort of challenge him. 
and um, and they're so professional um, and so polite, but he's just being a complete arse. And uh, and I just I just thought well, you know seriously has it really come to this now that that as if the police haven't got enough crap to deal with, as if they're not busy enough, you've got absolute you know bell ends like this bloke uh, running around and um, wasting their time and and just being you know a complete idiot. So having spent um, a bit of time. Uh, down this rabbit hole on YouTube, looking at some of this stuff, which frankly wind me up a treat. And I kind of wish I hadn't seen it now because it did really properly wind me up. And it turned me, I feel, I felt, I felt myself turning into, you know, Victor Meldrew or something as I was watching it, which is never a good thing. But um, anyway, I just want to move on to talk about and think about what the impact of all of this is on policing. So um, first of all, just consider what is the impact in terms of policing generally, okay, not on the individual officers, we'll talk about that in a minute, but what's the impact on policing generally? And more importantly, what's the impact on public safety? So I have spoken to quite a few officers um, about this um, via emails and social media and things like that. And, and I think it's fair to say that um, those officers who are uh, long in service and um, very experienced um, do one of two things, I think. They either just completely ignore it and get on and do their job confident that they are doing the right thing and that they are, um, you know, they're applying the law in a in a defensible way and, and their attitude is you know, I've got my body worn video on and I don't, they can film away for all I care. I don't, I don't give a monkey's really. And and then there's another school of thought there that says, um, you know what, it, the whole thing now has become such an absolute car crash um, trying to police the UK that I just, I just don't get involved with these people if I can possibly help it. And, uh, and I've got to say, that is not good for public safety, I would suggest, because you've got a whole load of people who's who are being paid to keep the public safe. And and if those people are just disengaging, for want of a better word, from the job that they're meant to be doing because they just can't deal with this level of aggravation anymore, then that's not good. So those are the more experienced officers. I think that's probably a reasonable cross-section of opinion across the experienced officers. The less experienced officers are, uh, I think, extremely nervous about this whole situation because they know that uh, they're worried that they're going to get into trouble. Um, they're maybe not as confident about legislation, uh, what they can and what they can't do. And, and it's really, really interesting watching some of these videos. And, and I, I watched quite a few from my old force, the West Midlands. And, and if, if any of those officers are, are listening, fair play to you. And um, there was there was an incident outside um, Bull, the Bull Ring station um, in, in um, Birmingham where these lovely, um, quite young in service, obviously quite young in service officers with, I always think they're young in service because they've got five, five uh, digit warrant numbers or collar numbers, which, you know, I'm, I was an old fart, I had, I had four, um, but uh, they were brilliant, they were very polite, very professional, but you could just tell that they were on an absolute hide into nothing, 
Um, so my fear is that the younger officers uh, will will just avoid anything that is potentially going to bring them into conflict with with uh, members of the public. And bear in mind the whole, you know, I'm not saying that we, we should relish conflict because I think we should always try and avoid it if we can. But there will come a point in time as a police officer when you have to say, no, what you're doing is unacceptable. Um, you've broken the law um, and, and I'm going to lay hands on you and I'm going to arrest you or I'm going to search you. Um, because the, the reality is that um, if you're not doing that, when, when you have to do that from time to time, then I'm sorry, but you're just kind of not doing your job. So so the impact of that potentially on public safety is also very serious. So you're going to have potentially a generation of younger officers who are just going to shy away from difficult confrontational issues, which is the absolute last thing I would suggest that you should be doing, particularly when it comes to people who are involved in crime. Um, they will, they've always tried to throw you off the scent by kicking up in the street or playing up. Um, and, and that's a distraction tactic. And that was as much the case when I first joined sort of 30 years ago as, as it is today. The difference is that, the, that the, the distraction tactic now involves using mobile phones and um, alleging, you know, pre- police brutality and corruption or, you know, racism or whatever it is. Um, to just kind of get you to back down, which is definitely not what you should be doing. So so that's the impact of all of this, I think, in policing generally, is to basically turn policing into a very fearful uh, organisation that just shies away from, from conflict, which is not desirable at all. But in terms of what are the, uh, what's the impact on individual officers, uh, it was very obvious to me from watching some of those videos on YouTube that um, auditing Britain site uh, they looked really really just fed up I think that's the word fed up um, stressed out anxious and when you consider how stressful and um, difficult policing is even even on a good day uh, when 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 things are going well, sometimes it can still be pretty stressful, and you know the the twenty four seven nature of the job, uh, the, the impact that that has on your body clock, the impact that that has on your family life and your friendships and your social life and all of that stuff, uh, and then you add in a layer of completely unnecessary stress because some idiot decides that it's a good idea to shove camera phone in your face when you're just trying to do your job I think that is unacceptable it's disrespectful to the um, to the police officers themselves it, it arguably has an impact on their human rights um, puts them at risk potentially by uploading those images and video to social media um, so I wouldn't be terribly impressed if if a video of me trying to do my job was uploaded to YouTube um, particularly if it was taken out of context in a very sort of selective way um, and then potentially it goes kind of f- quite viral and then before you know it, my next door neighbours and the people, the mums and dads at school and, and all of that are kind of looking sideways at me and saying, oh, there's that bloke who was on YouTube, he's a bit of a bully, isn't he? You know, So um, the, the impact on the officers is significant, I would suggest. So in the uh, spirit of uh, go large or go home, I I thought I would just commit my thoughts on this one to 
an email to both my local MP, who's a Tory MP, um, and I also copied it into, uh, well, not copied it, sent it directly to Priti Patel and the Home Secretary and to Oliver Dyden, who's the Secretary of State for the Department of Culture, Media and Sport. Now, my rationale for um, for all three is, A, I think it's courtesy to actually challenge, you know, you know or ask the question of your own MP, um, but the actual questions themselves uh, probably relate more to the Home Office and also to DCMS, Department of Culture, Media and Sport, on the basis that DCMS regulates uh, everything to do with the media. Um, and if you've been following the news uh, recently, uh, there's a lot of work going on within government around online harms legislation. So I'm doing a lot of work as a technology advisor for uh, companies who work in the uh, internet space. Um, and I, my particular sort of area of expertise, I suppose, for want of a better word, is how do we keep people safe on the internet? So I'm working with companies who do a lot of artificial intelligence uh, capabilities around um, online moderation and uh, abusive content, um, content involving um, uh, child sexual abuse images on the internet and things like that. So um, so I wrote an email um, to all three, basically setting out kind of what I've been saying here. Um, I also uh, um, included a link to the blog with the video of that Egypt um, up in the north of England, wherever it was. And, uh, and I basically asked them a number of questions. I said, um, what, are, what are your plans to actually address this issue? Oh, I also cc'd it to, to John Apter, who's the uh, chairman of the Police Federation of England and Wales, and also to the Superintendents Association for their awareness. Now, I, before I say anything else, do I actually think that I'm going to get a response that is in any sort of meaningful response here? Almost certainly no. Almost certainly. I'm completely realistic. But you know what, if we all sit here and kind of moan about it and don't actually do anything about it, then then we can't be too surprised if nothing changes. So the questions I asked them were really about uh, what is the plan to address this issue on the basis that it is a present and ongoing threat to public safety and it's also a significant threat to the mental health, well-being uh, and human rights of, of police officers uh, and their families. And what I've actually proposed to them is uh, a number of things. Um, on the basis that uh, would it be acceptable for a class of 15, 16 year olds to sit in a classroom filming a secondary school teacher trying to do a lesson, filming them uh, with their camera phones and then uploading it to YouTube? No, it wouldn't be acceptable. Uh, nor would it be acceptable to film a doctor or a nurse uh, trying to carry out their duties in an A&E department of a hospital. That would not be permitted and very quickly you'd be ejected from the hospital by hospital security, I would suggest. So the question I'm asking is, why is it acceptable to do that to police officers when they're trying to do a, a very difficult and often dangerous job? Um, and what I proposed was that um, they should consider regulations or legislation, call it what you want, to make an offence to film any public servant. So I'm not just saying police officers, any public servant doing his or her job 
unless they're an accredited journalist without the express permission of that public servant. So that's the first thing. I also suggested that it should be an offence to upload footage of any public, any public servant doing his or her job to social media without their express permission and for that to be included in the forthcoming online harms legislation. And finally, to make an offence to share footage of any public servant doing his or her job other than in the context of a formal complaint or within a court setting. Clearly, um, if you have footage, either CCTV footage or dash cam footage or whatever, of something that is showing uh, misconduct or a criminal act on the part of a police officer or anyone else for that matter, then yes, of course, you want to retain that and you want to share it with the investigators. And ultimately, you would probably want to share it with your solicitor or your lawyer um, to take to court or in connection with a complaint. So, so what I'm saying is, you know, I'm realistic. Um, I understand that there is value in sometimes having this kind of material in order to hold public servants to account. But what you don't want is for someone to take it upon themselves to do that uh, and then upload it to YouTube. So I'll um, keep you in the loop, as they say, to see if I get a response uh, from any of them on that. But as I say, I'm not going to be holding my breath. And just one other thing that's maybe worth just giving some thought to is one of the other things that I really uh, was quite shocked at when I looked at these YouTube videos of alleged police heavy-handedness and the auditing Britain stuff was the literally... I mean, these videos have been viewed many hundreds of thousands of times and there's probably the best part of 200,000 I think something like that, subscribers to the channel. So this is not an insignificant, you know, kind of thing that nobody gives a monkeys about. This is obviously something that's widely viewed, widely commented on. But the comments uh, in a lot of these videos are just unbelievably anti-police. Uh, I mean, really, some dreadful things being said that are probably borderline criminal actually in terms of the things that they're saying they want to do to police officers you know talk about murdering them and all of this kind of stuff and clearly these are these are comments being being written by I would imagine okay this is just me putting my amateur psychologist head on for a moment so bear with me is I suspect these are angry young men predominantly who have got a sort of a, a nihilistic kind of approach to life i.e. I sense that a, a, everything is pointless and um, nobody ge- cares about them, a sort of a self-pitying kind of um, uh, approach to life. Um, and I sort of, that got me thinking about, you know, so how do we challenge that? We can, we can kind of help police officers to kind of cope with it and we can uh, maybe see if we can get some support from government and policymakers around... Um, protecting police officers from it. But um, if, if none of that works, then I suppose the thing that we need to do is to try and understand why it is that there are so many possibly young men out there who have got these extremely aggressive, violent fantasies about wanting to harm police officers. And... Um, Someone said something on a LinkedIn thread, which I thought was really, really interesting. Uh, and then he, we had a sort of a private messaging kind of exchange 
about this and what he said was really interesting. He said, I think what's going on here is that there is a sense of um, them and us out there at the moment where, whereby there are, there is a sort of a large and growing group of people out there who don't feel that they've got a stake in society, uh, that they, they don't feel that anyone cares about them. So that being the case, they don't care about anybody else. They don't feel that they want to be part of society to play any sort of a meaningful, positive role in society. And another thing he said was interesting was that um, and it's hardly surprising because so many of our so-called leaders, particularly in the last sort of, you know, I don't know, maybe five years or so, five, ten years, so many of them, including our, I'm sorry to say, our current prime minister, have, are so contemptuous of things like the truth, you know, such an old fashioned notion, isn't it? The truth. Uh, play fast and loose with with facts. Um, don't. Uh, practice what they preach and, and that kind of sends out a message to feel disenfranchised from uh, having a stake in society so there you go okay folks um so as i promised at the start uh, i said i was going to uh, have a chat about how things sort of a bit of foot in the ball moment um in terms of the podcast in terms of where it's going to, where it's come from, what have I learned, um, and, and where do I sort of see this going? And, and this is, um, just just bear with me on this one because I'm, I'm not even quite sure myself. So um, so yeah, so I promised to bring in Kay, my long-suffering lovely wife. Thank you. So Kay's going to just sort of help me kind of think through some of this stuff. So, so um We've just we're just back from just add a bit of uh, texture and colour. <laughs> we just come back. Kay taught me for doing uh, what's it called? Um, it's it's a military fitness type thing called Warrior Strong. Warrior Strong, Strong fitness, fitness or something, isn't it? Yeah. Oh my god! So we've just been back from doing that and um, Bergen's on our backs. Oh yeah, bloody hell! Ex para ex paras PTI who runs it, a lovely bloke called He's Ed. amazing. He's amazing. Big, big shout out to Ed from Warrior. Yeah. Uh, strong warrior, strong fitness. <laughs> <laughs> Helps if you get the name right, doesn't it? Um, yeah, so that was bloody, bloody hard, but uh, good fun as well, wasn't it? So anyway, right. So, well, can I ask you some questions rather yeah. than? Go on, can, can I just say as well? So, Ian and I are from very different schools mm -hmm. of organisation. Um, I, I like to be quite structured and organised. Um, Ian's more of a kind of show up and throw up just kind of guy. Uh, just fucking do it. <laughs> JFDI. <laughs> like some other of my friends, Bill Unsworth to mention. <laughs> so, um, so, so yeah, so I wanted to do some um, kind of prep to say, well, let, let me get some questions together. But he said, no, 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 it's fine. I'll just press record and off we go. So I think you what, five weeks in now? Yeah, something like five, five weeks six in. weeks, something like that. So just kind of taking a step back then, because I know you don't do this very often, you, you just plough through, which is a great skill. Yep. Um, but when you set out to record the podcasts, just can you just recap on why you wanted to do that in the first place? And, and I think then we can kind of look at whether that still holds true, given what you've experienced. Yeah. So, so, so why in the first place? What were the objectives of doing it in the first place? Okay, um, I suppose in, in no particular order, and as these as kind of this 
occurs to me really. So I suppose uh, what I wanted to do was to be a bit of a cheerleader for policing in the UK um, because I just feel that no one's speaking for policing. Um, the organisation itself is just seems to be incapable of really sticking up for police officers, which is very sad, I think. Um, and, and, and maybe we'll get in a few chief constables at some point to talk about that in the podcast, just to say, OK, why, why is it that, that very senior people in the, in the organisation just seem to be so poor and actually really speaking for their people? Um, so there's that. Um, there's probably something there about wanting to share with um, non-police people what it's actually like to be in the police. So some of the people I've interviewed so far will hopefully be able to help to describe that. Um, there's something there as well about complementing the book. So um, obviously, you know, the book is what it is. Uh, it hasn't been published yet, but when it is published, um, you know, people can read that. But this this kind of will add a bit more to the book, I suppose. Um uh, I suppose on that, I don't know, mental list as well, there's a wanting to give facts to people. Uh, there's, there's people going to be listening to this who don't really understand what policing's about. They, they only see what they see on the news, uh, read on, on websites, um, you know, dramas and what have the police dramas. And I want to kind of just give those intelligent people a few facts just to sort of counter some of that negative narrative, the negative media narrative. Mm. Um so, so yeah, there yeah. you go. So so we're we're about five weeks in now. You've done a, a bit of a mixture in terms of having people in to be interviewed and I know some of the podcasts have certain lengths, some are longer than others. So kind of on reflection, are you are where you thought you might be five weeks in? What's what's your kind of Well I think it's doing feedback? a lot I think it's doing a lot better than I than I dared think, mm. um, which is which is a good place to be, I suppose, but it can also be a bit scary as well because you just think, oh God. This kind of thing is kind of growing arms and legs a little bit now. I'm getting, you know, a lot of people listening to it, uh, lots of downloads. Um, you know, I think a thousand just last week alone or something like that. So, mm. so yeah, um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely going going well, I suppose. Um, and those objectives which you had initially, have they changed in any way? Have they? You know, um, is there more? Well, I think I think the thing like the thing is when you start diving into something really properly, and bearing in mind this isn't my full time job, although you probably feel. Like... <laughs> yeah, I think I disagree, frankly. <laughs> well, I do spend a lot of time doing it, but but that's because it's something I'm really interested and passionate in. But um, like anything, the more time you spend doing something, you 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 start to read a lot more, you speak to a lot more people, and. And I suppose, I suppose what what I've discovered is that, uh, and I don't take any pleasure from saying this, but the more people I speak to, the more I realise that the organisation is in an even bigger mess than I thought it was, unfortunately. Right. Um, and the thing is, having been part of the organisation for such a long time, and then you come away from it, and then you look back with the benefit of sort of a break, and for me that's nearly two years now, and you look back on it and you think, what the fuck was that all about? You know, sometimes, not all of it, some of it, you just look back and think, oh my God, that was just ridiculous, utterly ridiculous. Uh, and, and you sort of, you have the happy memories of all the really good stuff and the good people. And then you have the sort of memories of some of the ridiculous things that you ended up having to do or some of the people who were just pretty toxic that you had to work with or whatever. Well, that's, that's I mean, that's similar to, obviously I finished um, after 26 years with one company 
but that's no different to how I'm feeling about stuff, kind of just reflecting back. Hmm. I, I guess the difference is, is, for me, I'm still working out the what next. What, what, where are you with that? So the kind of so what, you've, you've had that reflection time. Yeah. What, what is it, you, what yeah. impact do you want to have a... Would yeah, well, I suppose now? I suppose I'm realistic. I'm realistic in the sense that do I think that this book and this podcast and everything I'm doing at the moment is going to fundamentally change UK policing? You know, no, no, I don't. You know, because it's just too big for that. And it took a long time to get into this situation, and it's going to take a long time to to fix it as well. I think. Um, but if I can, I suppose if I can, if I can, um, you know, do my bit towards changing the narrative, changing the perception of UK policing, then I think that's going to be time well spent. And the thing the thing is that when you leave the organisation, when I was when I was in the Westminster Police, um, and I'd say this to if there's any senior officers listening to this, or anyone, it doesn't have to be senior officers, it can be anyone who's been in the police a long time, but, but I'm saying this, I suppose, to senior officers particularly, is that... Um, there's a much bigger world than just policing, and when you when you're in policing for a long time, you you do become a bit sort of institutionalized, and and your thinking becomes quite narrow, um, and there's a tendency, I think, in policing to you know it's probably the same as a lot of organisations. There's a tendency in policing to just keep doing the same old things, and then when it doesn't work, people are surprised. And it's like that that saying, isn't it? Definition of insanity is is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Well. You know, we've tried a lot of different things in policing. It hasn't worked, frankly. You know, uh, we went through all the different stuff under the Blair regime around performance and all that nonsense. And then and then the, the carpet got pulled from under the feet of policing. And I suppose when I was in policing full time, you're so, you're so kind of... And I suppose that this is another thing, isn't it? When you're in it day in and day out, you, you're, you're full on kind of just involved in operational stuff or making decisions or lots of admin and meetings and HR issues and all of these things that, that kind of is part and parcel of a, of a day in the life of a senior officer in, in the police. But when you come away from it, you just think it's a bit like a relationship, isn't it? If you've had a, if you've had a, been in a, if you've been in a d- difficult or toxic relationship, and I'm not saying that the police was a toxic relationship because it, it wasn't, it was overwhelmingly positive. But when you come away from it, you look back and you think, oh my God, what was I thinking, you know? Mm. But so you need you need that sort of space, mental space, don't you, to be able to... A bit of decompression time. Make, make sense yeah. of it, yeah. 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 So so in terms of where where you are now with it, so I think for me from just obviously getting hearing you to speak to people and, and, and getting the feedback that you have in terms of the podcast specifically... It feels like you've got kind of two audiences. Mm. You've got the cops, basically, yeah. Yeah. Um, and the non-cops. And, and I think you've done a, a good job, going back to the original objectives, about sharing the reality of what it's like to be a cop. You've had some different people on who had different experiences, some great stories there. Um, do, you, do you think you can carry on with one podcast for both of those audiences and keep people interested? Um, I, I don't know. To be honest, but I, I hope so. Um, and it's interesting because everybody you speak to, the feedback I get, you know, from people is um, some people say, "Oh, I love the interviews. The, the interviews are just great." And um, other people say, um, "Sorry, you just I just burped." Um, just, just burp I might have to see if I can edit that. I <laughs> just belched into. The, um, yeah, the uh, other people say, "No, I, I really like it." Whenever you talk about, um, you know, high policing is in the real world and, and how it's different to what we th- sort of see on television and 
and all of that kind of stuff. So I think everybody gets something maybe slightly different out of mm. it. Um, but the, the bottom line with all of this is, you know, it's just my opinion, isn't it? I'm not saying I'm right with, with any of this stuff. It's my opinion. But to be fair, it's also the opinion of an awful lot of police officers. And if anybody's in any doubt about this, go and Google Matt Johnson, author, I'm done, as in I'm done, D-O-N-E. Now, now Matt's a, an ex-Met officer, an ex-Army officer as well. Now, he left the police um, back in, oh God, 2000s or something. And uh, he's now a very successful author um, of, of uh, fiction novels. And, uh, and he was sent, a, he was sent a, a, a letter, an email, I don't know, whatever, from a serving police officer who decided to resign after 20 years. And, it's, and he's now published it on his website, and it's called I'm Done. And, um, and it's really heartrending. But it's, I've spoken to Matt about it, actually, and it had something like quarter of a million views or or kind of like downloads or reads or whatever inside the first month something absolutely mm. ridiculous mm. and um and it, and loads of people talk I, I bump into people who talk about it and i didn't you know they bring it up and they say oh god i read that thing called i'm done and it's it's a complete oh my god the police it's obviously a complete car crash isn't it i'm like thinking oh well yeah so if anybody if anybody's laboring under the misapprehension that everything's fine in policing, read that document, read that article, and then maybe you might think differently. Yeah. And that's what I, I like from what you're doing and trying to do, whether it be on some of your posts and blogs, is is that you give people facts mm. and people can form their own views. They're intelligent people hopefully listening to this, is is the facts the facts. So, you know, based on that just he, he's a like I say there's a first-hand account of what it's like um and and that's why I, I, I quite like the interviews because obviously for, for me you know um I mean I came from a very different view of police what police are all about I mean we had I'm not going to talk about police fortnight every time I can but you know that we where they wheeled in the horses the cars the bikes was, and everything was IBM. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah, when I was when I was 29 no when I <laughs> When I was when I was six, seven, eight. So <laughs> that's like the fire. That's like the, uh, the we call them the squirters in the police, don't we? The fire service. Um, that's like the squirters going around trying to um, persuade um, generally single, attractive women to have smoke alarms fitted in their house, isn't yeah, it? That's a very important job, isn't it? But, <laughs> um, but no, but but so I I've really enjoyed the police and from listening to some of the interviews and and I and honestly um I wasn't aware that there were so many things so many career options within the police Mm. that's the thing I've got out of listening to you know the different people coming on and and I know when you you had some long service award thing and I know we sat there for a few hours down in London but there was like like 40 odd different job roles and Mm. and I think people don't realize how broad Yeah. yeah And, and I think I think that's interesting. Yeah. Everybody, and everybody's got a different perspective. Yeah. So yeah, definitely. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think, mean, I, I think more of the interviews is, is, yeah. is helpful. And I, and I think one of the key th- points I'd want to make, it, it just you know, on that one is, it, I'm really mindful of of not wanting to paint this really terrible picture of policing. I just want I just want to paint a balanced picture. It's it's neither perfect nor is it terrible. Um, it's a complex, it's possibly the most complex job you you could ever do. I can't think of any other jobs that, that would have 
more complexity and potential con controversy within it than, than being in the police. And if you're sitting there and you're thinking of joining the police or you're, um, you know, you're currently training to be a police officer or whatever, I'd say, good on you, mm. good on you, um, do it. Um, but go into it with your eyes wide open. Mm -hmm. And and um, and what I'd say to the next generation of police officers who might be listening to this is don't make this don't make the mistakes of kind of my generation of of police officers. Okay, um, so uh, challenge the politicians, challenge them, take them on. Okay, challenge the media, take them on. Okay, and find a different way to get your message across because the old ways of doing it have not worked. Yeah. Okay, one final question. Yeah. So how would you feel if one of the kids decided to be a police officer? Um, I think I'd probably feel very proud, but I'd also feel very worried for them as well. I mean, our, our daughter, um, she's only nine, bless her, um, but she already talks about wanting to be a police lady, doesn't she? Um, and... Um, I've no idea. You know, she's only nine. You know, she could go through a dozen different, you know, ideas between nine when she's old enough to do it. But I suppose, um, yeah, it would be a mixture of pride and fear, because I just think um, something fundamentally needs to change about policing between now and you know pretty quickly. I'd say in the next few years it needs to change, and because my fear is that with eight and a half thousand police officers having resigned in the last three years alone. Um, and morale and mental health issues being, you know, in a, in a very bad way. My, my fear is that um, it'll become an increasingly unattractive place for people to, to, to work. The, the exodus of experience. I, I had a, a conversation with a, a very experienced, I'm, I'm not even going to say what rank it was, but it was a middle manager uh, within the police who contacted me today saying, I've decided to go, I just can't do it anymore. Um, I wanted to pick my brains about a life in the private sector in the commercial world. I also heard another story the other day about um, a, uh, a company, a high-tech company that I've had some dealings with work-wise, who, who recruited, I think they recruited the DS on a high-tech crime unit of a force, uh, and within the month, two of the DCs and the inspector had all jumped ship and, and, and left the police mm. to work for this private company, leaving that team completely well, this wasn't viable anymore. Mm. So that's what's happening at the moment, and yeah. we need to stop that. Yeah. Anyway, I think we're done, aren't we, I think darling? We've peaked, yeah. You've Unscripted. Got, you've got some shopping to do now, haven't you? <laughs> you've got some cleaning to do. I have not. I'm going to go and put my feet up for a bit. You are so not. <laughs> right, thank you, darling. Okay. That's great. Ha <laughs> ha